Amen. And you may be seated. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes I pray and uh, <laughs> and I just don't want to stop praying because, you know, I feel that I'm in the presence of the Lord and, and it's so good to be in the presence of the Lord. I mean, in, in all the things that we do, the one thing that we, we need to be is in the presence of the Lord. Amen. And, and so we just worship the Lord today, and I just invite you just to, to worship in spirit, and we worship Him in word, and we're looking at the Word of God today. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and looking at verses 1 through 2, or verses 1 and 2. And in fact, we're not gonna, I'm not going to probably read the verses for you. Uh, very short, you can look at them and, and just uh, glance at them as we begin this morning. But I, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like you know, to be a part of that new church I mean, when the church started, you know, and people started becoming a part of the way, you know, the word Christian was not being used yet, but they used the, the phrase the way they were part of the way. And I imagine how exhilarating it must have been. And I, I'm sure there was some chaos. I'm sure there was probably some, you know, some issues that surfaced. And of course, the Apostle Paul, as we read his epistles, he's addressing some of those issues. He's trying to bring unity, you know, to the home front, so to speak, in the church there. And, and so he's, he's dealing with that. But yet at the same time, I imagine there had to be some tremendous spiritual triumphs. I mean, I'm just imagining how people were coming to the Lord and becoming a part of the way. And in fact, because of really two big reasons. One, they experienced revelation of truth. This means they they were discovering the Savior. They were discovering Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah of mankind. And, and people were being introduced to Christ, you know, through testimony, I'm sure, through story. And they're hearing other stories. And as they're hearing those stories, and their lives are being transformed because of, of who Jesus Christ was. And so there was the revelation of truth. And that was drawing people. And the second thing is there was a sense of belonging. I, I believe that. There was this sense of belonging just as we come and we worship together. We fellowship even as we're doing right now. And we want to we wanna belong. We want to be a part. It's part of our, I, I think, human nature. God created us this way. In fact, if you don't believe that, read the story of a man by the name of Frank Reed. He, he was actually... Uh, um, he was a captive or I think he was a news correspondent or something. I remember the article where he, he was captured and was being held uh, against his will as a prisoner in Lebanon. And, and he tells a story to Time magazine how he was chained to the wall for months on end, I guess for about four years, but he was chained and then he was blindfolded for months. And, and I'm trying to imagine what that's like. You know, Paul, I hate being blindfolded. I know some people... They cover their eyes with some kind of cover when they sleep at night, you know, you know, to block out the light. But that even bothers me. I'm kind of claustrophobic and I can't I, I mean, I couldn't I wouldn't want to be blindfolded for just an hour. And so can you imagine that they blindfolded him for months at a time? And, and then they beat him and he became ill and he went through all kinds of, you know, uh, mistreatment and pain. But you know what he told Time Magazine, he shared with Time Magazine, he said the hardest, the hardest part was not all the pain and the beatings and the illness. He said the hardest part was the overriding fact that nothing I did mattered to anyone. He says it withers the human soul. Nothing I did mattered to, to anyone. And I, I realized how caregiving is a powerful force, he said, because if no one cares, you are truly alone. And I don't know, maybe you feel that way. Maybe you've been feeling a little bit like that. Maybe you've been feeling a little bit lonely or you feel like you're alone and maybe you're going through hard times, difficult times. I remember a few times as a teenager, I remember being there in that time in life and how I felt kind of ostracized a little bit and how I felt kind of separated and I felt alone. 
And man, those are big feelings. And maybe now it's a change in life or change in relationships. And I don't know what you're going through. And I'm not trying to read into your life. But maybe it's possible that's how you're feeling right now. You feel like just nobody cares. Well, we come to the passage here and we, we read, you know, what Paul writes. And, and there's some encouragement. We know these, these Christians of this early church were experiencing God's gracious care through the church. That's the way it's supposed to be. And the Apostle Paul was was caring enough to mentor them and to love them. In fact, in the first 15 chapters, Paul is teaching about Christian conduct and the structure of behavior in the local church. And I, I think, well, really, I know that he realized that even Christians then or now, they want to be a part of something. But he also recognizes the application, the basic application of one's faith in contributing to a cause. And there's something emotional about that, something, you know, real about that. As we get involved in something, the more that we contribute to something, the more value we give it. And the more that it wraps around the lining of our hearts and it becomes this heart thing. I mean, I understand as we look at the scripture and, and we see the plan of God, he outlines the plan. In fact, that's what Paul's in the midst of doing. And I'll get to that later. But he's outlining the plan. It's God's plan. And I know in the midst of that, as we're trying to process the stewardship thing, because we've been talking about stewardship in the last couple of weeks. This is my last message on that. But in the plan of God, you, you know, you, you could ask some questions. I understand you know, legitimate questions, you know, why tithe? If you've never tithed before, you might say, why tithe? And, and maybe that even is the reason that you've not started tithing. Because you have some legitimate questions and you're thinking, why tithing? I mean, why do we have to, you know, why is God's plan like this? And is there something else that we can do other than tithe, you know, that can, you know, fulfill this need? And, and so I, I understand there are legitimate questions possibly. Is there any other way? Well, in fact, you know, Paul, he touches... He touches on this issue and it becomes very emotional because it's something that we invest in. And, of course, it's something that we value that's important because it's it's not just, you know, it's not just a conversation of, of things we must do. But for the Apostle Paul, it's, it's something deeper than that. And we see that in the beginning of chapter 16, he says now about the collection. He says now about the collection. And as as he, he mentions it, he he's really talking about. How giving affects the heart. Do you, do you get me on that? I, I mean, can you see that there? How Paul is trying to address that, that, that giving is about the heart. It's not about the mind. It's not about, you know, okay, here are the rules. He, it, it's about the heart. Because when we give out of the heart, you see that, 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 that is a revelation. And, and in fact, here in this passage, and again, 1 Corinthians 16 here, the first couple of verses, beginning, he writes now about the collection of God's people, and he's, he's really responding to the questions asked. In fact, in chapter 7, we look at verse 1. He says, now, matters that you've asked me or wrote me about. And so there's litany of questions that he is responding to. He's trying to answer those questions, legitimate questions, about their spirituality, how to conduct themselves as believers. And then he goes from one topic to another topic to another topic, from one issue to another issue. And now we're at this position where he's talking about, of course, the idea of stewardship and tithing. You know, tithing the one-tenth that we give to the Lord. You know, that's the part where the right hand does not know what the left hand is doing. And then offering is above and beyond that. But but he, he's answering the questions because 
He, he is, he is a part of, of this movement of God. I, I love that our, our speaker, um, Alan Hirsch, last Saturday we went as a team, as a staff, and listened to Alan Hirsch, and he was a speaker at one of our conferences on the district level, and he spoke of, you know, allowing the weight of the scripture to speak to us, not necessarily our interpretation, but the weight of the scripture. And in the weight of the scripture, then we 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 hear God's voice and God speaks to us. And and that in the scripture, we can see how in the New Testament that there is this movement of God that is taking place. And what does the movement of God congregation look like? And part of the movement of God is is stewardship. That when God is moving among us and, and there is the church that is a healthy church, we see we see there is stewardship and people are giving because their heart is right with God. And, of course, Paul follows with very clear and simple description description of how we are to give. If a movement of God includes people that are committed to stewardship, then what does that look like? He gives us some ideas. In fact, in chapter 16, go back to the chapter again, go to chapter 16 and we'll look at verse two together. And he gives us that first description, which is every Sunday, each person was to bring what he has set aside. Now, notice uh, it says Sunday. That's the first day of the week. So it's not, you know, the last day. It's not the last of our our resources. It's not the last of our income, you know, after we paid our bills. But you see, it's the first day of the week, which is the first of our income. So the challenge that he gives us, if you're filling in the blanks there, the challenge that he gives us is the first fruits belong to God. The first fruits belong to God. Say that with me. The first fruits belong to God. You see, this goes with Paul's initial premise that giving affects the heart. And in return, giving then reveals the heart. If giving affects the heart, then then giving reveals something about the heart. And we learn that, you know, from Paul here. Because when it's it's out of the heart flows who we are in our love. I I, uh, was shaken many years ago when our, our youngest son... Abram um, was sick. My wife had called me and I was at the church office and she said, honey, I think something's wrong with our with Abram. And Abram was about seven or eight month old, you know, and we're parents and just learning how to be parents. And it's kind of scary always with the little babies. But anyhow, she calls me something's wrong. I rush home. I get home and she has Abram on the couch and she'd been feeding him Pedialyte. Pedialyte is a good thing. And she had been feeding him, you know, several bottles of Pedialyte. He'd gotten lots of liquid. And but I got home and for a baby, it was unusual. He had kind of rings under his eyes like he's dehydrated and and he was kind of limp and lethargic. And so let's go to the doctors. And so we picked him up, went to the emergency room. They immediately put him in front of everybody else. And he goes to the emergency room. They separate us and we're in one room. And of course, Abram, our seven, eight month old babies in another room. And then they come back in about 15 minutes and they begin to grill us. They begin to grill us as if we had not been given him liquids. And my mom, my mom, my wife, she tells them about all the Pedialyte and how many bottles she had fed Abram. And, and, and so, you know, they're a little skeptic. And, and so now we're taken back. Something's wrong with her baby. We were scared to death for our child. And they are also kind of accusatory towards us. I mean, it was a rough time. And so they go about an hour and a half passes and they come back and they have a complete different spirit. And they begin to, you know, try to comfort us as parents. And, and, and they tell us that he has a, a virus, a very unique, unusual virus. In fact, it's only affecting babies. In the last 40 hours, three babies had passed, had died because of the virus. So it became a very grave situation. And they tried to walk with us. They did walk with us through that. And we began to pray. We called the church. And the prayer chain went out. And 
And so we're wrestling with this. And, and well, Abram, the end of the story is Abram is 27 years old today. I guess my point, the point that I want to make is with the question, do you think that I would have hesitated even one moment to use every dime that I had to service my son and give him medical care? Do you think I would have even hesitated for a moment if it meant that I'd be in debt for the rest of my life to provide the medical care for my child or baby? You know what? You know the answer. It's rhetorical. You know that I would be in debt for the rest of my life. It was necessary to give life to my son because out of the heart... Because out of the heart, because, because in our heart we love our son and it is a natural outcropping to give everything that I have to my son. And you see in the first fruits that is the concept that it's out of the heart. It's out of the love that we have for Jesus. It's out of the heart, the love that we have for God that is the very natural outcropping and response in that love for God is that we give to God those first fruits because he has called us to do that. But not just because of the call. But because of the heart and the love that we have for God. So giving our first fruits strengthens our faith in God. Fill in the blank there. Giving our first fruits strengthens our faith in God. Remember, untested faith is no faith at all. Untested faith is no faith at all. Fact is, if you will notice in the previous several verses, he was rambling and rejoicing on and on about the resurrection of the body. And then he makes an abrupt subject change. The apostle does. He makes this abrupt subject change seemingly about taking the offering. And so Paul, he's thrilled about the resurrection. I mean, there's all that excitement. And then there's this shift. And it's about this giving. It's about now about the collection. As if to say, look, if you want to look for the one, see the resurrection in the body, you must participate in the other. It's, it's part of the plan that God has. It's part of the plan. And, and you see both of them, whether it is the resurrection of the body or whether it is tithing, they both require the same ingredient. You know what that ingredient is? That ingredient is faith. It requires faith. To respond. Remember, giving affects the heart and giving from the top of our income says everything about our heart condition when it comes to God. And what Paul recognizes is that in the circle or the experience of Christian fellowship, we should include more than just sympathy cards and prayers. And it's good that we're sympathetic. It's, it's good that we, we do offer our prayers and we do all these spiritual things, spiritual maneuvering. Oh, this is Christian. We're doing this. We're doing this. But you see, this is a challenge that Paul is reminding us that there is this necessary expression of our faith in a concrete way that we say to Jesus, Jesus, I love you this much. And that concrete expression, it is in tithes and offerings. I, uh, I came across a story of Rita and Gustav. Uh, Hauser, they started a big company called Hauser Communications. It, I believe it's since sold off, and but they became very wealthy, millions of dollars. And and a few years ago, they gave the largest donation in history to a law school, Harvard Law School. They give the largest donation in history. This couple, they gave thirteen million dollars. Can you imagine thirteen million dollars to the school? And you'd think that when they came to receive, you know, their honors or what have you, and they honored them, it was because of the law school or because of the professors or because, you know, Harvard is so much better or there's this something unique about the, the law school. You, you know what excuse they gave? You know, you know why they, they gave the $13 million? They They testified, well, we got married the day after law school, but the reason we wanted to, to give this money is we wanted to give a concrete expression 
of our appreciation for our family. Because Rita and I, Gustav said, Rita and I met on this campus. <laughs> and the concrete expression of their faith was the heart. It was an expression of their heart and the heart relationship. And so we recognize that, you see, that is, that is kind of the softer side of, of why we tithe and why we, we give because we love Jesus and, and we want to express that to him. And that's what our heart says. The second way that we are to give, again, allowing the weight of the scripture to speak. The second way that we give is, is with the realization that the Christian offering is a mandate. And this means that the tithe is the command of God in an amount proportionate to one's income. I mean, that sounds so, so learned there, uh, that idea that we give in proportion to one's income as, as far as giving and more kind of, again, school. And we see Paul's talent here for being specific because sometimes I think that we just we need it direct. I, I don't know about you, but it, it frustrates me to death when somebody, you know, beats around the bush. Is anybody like that at all? You know, when people kind of beat around the bush and they just, you know, don't want to really say it and they want to get it out. And, and, and it's better if somebody just kind of speaks directly, kind of like the guy that called the church and he was wanting to speak to the pastor. And he goes, can I speak to the guy in charge? You know, the head hog of the trough. And the secretary is kind of taken back. She says the head hog of the trough. She says, he said, yeah, I want to speak to the man in charge, the man that's the head hog of the trough. And she said, sir, if you're referring to a pastor, we don't talk about our pastor in those terms. And the man said, well, I was just going to make a $50,000 donation to the building project. There was a pause on the line. And she says, hold the line. Here comes the big pig now. <laughs> I mean, talk about being direct, right? Um, so specifically... What does the Bible say? I mean, if it's the mandate, what, what does the Bible say about, about, you know, the tithe? Well, we go to Leviticus. Let's go together. And uh, we're just going to kind of uh, get down here and uh, get serious for a moment. We look at Leviticus chapter 27. And, of course, the book of the law. And remember, this is a time when all people lived a more sedentary life and wealth was measured by, of course, the fruits and by the, the seed and, the, and the, the flock, you know, the animals. And we recognize that. And here's what we read there in the book of the law. And again, Leviticus chapter 27. Look at that with me. Leviticus chapter 27. And then looking there at, at verse 30 through 34. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. Interesting, especially if we think about catching up. We should add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And he he does substitute for it. Then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. And so we have the commandments or in the book of the law, the direction that God gives us in, in, in saying that these portionments or this portion that belongs to God 
is holy. And it's holy unto the Lord. And it's even not to be forgotten, but it is to even be made right. If it is forgotten or, or there's something that happens and it's set aside, then we continue to focus on that portion and we make it holy before the Lord. And it's interesting as we look at the Old Testament history, the story of Cain and Abel. Even in, in the story of Cain and Abel, we read about God having favor upon Abel. Of course, Cain later kills Abel because of the jealousy issue. And, and yet here is this favor that is looked upon Abel. And why is there favor, you know, in the eyes of the Lord when it comes to Abel? But if we read the scripture, it's because Abel brings the first fruits. Cain gave to the Lord. That is true. But Abel brought the first fruits. And it's the first fruits. And in fact, and then later on, go to another passage, go to Malachi chapter three and in Malachi chapter three, looking around verse seven, we read about the Israelites that had fallen away from the Lord. The offering had been neglected. It's interesting. That's what happens when the falling begins when we begin to move away from the Lord. There's this slide that happens. It begins usually oftentimes first with the tithes or at least a portion of the tithes. And we know that there's something happening in us. If, if, if it's the money issue that begins to be the issue in our life where, where the enemy begins to get in and get between us and God or, or between our checkbook and God, God, so to speak. But we look here and we see that then if they're falling away from the Lord, here's what the oracle says. How do you return to God? How do we return to God? How do we make things right with God? And then we read there in Malachi chapter three, there seven through ten, that the, the way that we return is what? In our tithes and offerings. We return in our tithes and offerings. How do we make our relationship with God right in our tithes and offerings? I love the fact that you had a great pastor. One day, hopefully he had several great pastors. He had a great pastor one day, a pastor by the name of Dan Kopp that that gave a sermon illustration with 10 apples. In fact, how many of here of the people here have heard that message, heard the sermon from Pastor Dan about the 10 apples? And so Don came up to me last week and said, Pastor, Dan used to give this message and he was about number Don. You're about number 15. I'd heard that so many times. And I thought, well, you know what? They resonate with that. So here we have. The ten apples. We have the ten apples representing the resources, the income that we have, maybe our investments. Maybe it's our salary and all we have as far as resources, a check. And, and this represents the ten apples. And we're good because, you know, we want to pay our car payment. And we're very faithful in paying our house payment. And we're faithful in paying our utility payment. And, oh, we've got to pay the cell phone. We can't live without the cell phone, right? So we have to pay the Internet and the cell phone. And then, you know, we have some other bills and, and uh, you know, we have to pay those bills. And we have these, you know, resources that God has given us. And we use these resources in the fashion that we're supposed to use them to take care of our needs. And after all, we're just being responsible, right? We're being accountable. And then we have this tenth apple. This is this is God's portion. And I think we come into a sanctuary like this or maybe a setting like this and and we say to ourselves, yeah, I'm committed to 10 percent. In fact, we might even be good at having a conversation about 10 percent. But then, you know, life happens. And if we wait to the end of the month or the end of the week, there is this crisis. You see, it's school time and the kids need clothes. And the fact is. That's important. So, we've got to buy the clothes. We have no option. I mean, really, we can't embarrass our children. 
It's going to psychologically damage them. We've got to buy the clothes. Um, and then, by the way, you know, there's that medical bill. <laughs> you know, and uh, I've got to pay the medical bill because, you know, it's just going to really turn out bad. It's going to hurt my credit. And, and then, by the way, you know, I just learned Heidi told me that our, her little BMW needs new brakes. And nothing's cheap on a BMW, by the way. I don't know how much that's going to be. I'm, I'm scared to find out. But she needs brakes. And then we have something else that pops up. Oh, what did we call them last week? What did we call them? Inconveniences. <laughs> Those common inconveniences in life that, that cause us to begin to delve into the portion that belongs to God. Why? Because we're waiting to the end of the week. It's because we're waiting at the end of the month. And we're taking God's portion and we're messing with it. And then something else happens. Justifiably, we need it. And then something else happens. Right? And we need it. And pretty soon, <laughs> this is all we give God. We fi- throw in a fiver or a ten, maybe a twenty. And it's certainly not 10%. God knows us a little bit, don't you think? I'm saying to my adult grown sons, 29 and one has a business, 27, one he works at a marina. I'm saying to them again, I reminded them, I told them when they were children, but I'm saying to them as men now, give to God first, pay God first, pay yourself second. That's your savings. And then take the 80% that's left, 10% to God, 10% to savings. Take the 80% and pay your bills and get a second job if you have to to make it work. Because paying God, giving to God is an issue of the heart. Not because you have to. Because you want to. Isn't there a song that says that? Not because you have to, but because you want to. And you give that portion that belongs to God because you want to. Because you want to. It seems impossible. I, we were gathering in a small group, uh, a few of us, and the question was asked about stewardship and giving. And, and I asked them a the question, what would you say to somebody that's struggling with tithing and they're not tithing? What would you say to them? And, and I, I want to honor those that shared with me. I wouldn't say who that was, but they, they did a great job in giving some great ideas. And most of the ideas had to do with growing into it, you know, maybe 2% and 5% in this growing concept. And then everybody spoke and they talked about how they would help them, help them make it, make it easy. But, you know, then, I, then it was my turn. And I said, well, I know I'm a pastor, so divorce me from that title as a person. This is my answer. I would say to them, give 10%. Give 10%. Because it requires faith, and yes, it's a risk, but just see what God might do when you give 10%. Give God the chance to pour blessing out on you, and I believe that you'll be surprised and blessed if you pay tithe because you love God, because it's a heart issue. Not because the pastor's preaching about it. It's because it's your heart. You love Jesus, and Jesus, in a concrete way, I want to say, Jesus, I love you this much. Let the Lord work in your life.
If you give, he will bless you. I believe that.